I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A warmer Felipe, welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Ghost Guessing with myself, Greg Hughes and now part of the Beeson family of podcasts. And we've got another conference preview today, as in the second segment, we're going to be joined by Lance Hartzler. He does a great job taking a look at all things Montana basketball. He is a mid-major madness editor as well, so we're going to be taking a look at the big sky with him, looking at all the rosters, looking at the guys that are coming and going. We wound up seeing a couple coaching changes out there with this conference as well, so we're going to have a great time taking a look at all things big sky and what we can expect out of these rosters with him in the second segment and in the final segment of this preview, I'm going to be giving you guys my projector or finish for the Big Sky. And in the first segment, as I typically do, we're going to be taking a look at styles of play and betting trends in terms of all these teams in the Big Sky. So we're going to have a good time with it today. And if you ever do have a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters CM. Maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review. Just heads up that I am doing one of these conference previews for every single conference out there in college basketball. And with that, because I am doing Big Sky preview today, with regards to the news and notes of college basketball that we wound up seeing on Thursday, I'll be recapping those with Fridays tomorrow. So that should be all the house cleaning that we need before we wind up getting down to business. So let's take a look at the Big Sky and with the Big Sky, there is one commonality in this conference. Not a lot of defense being played, and boy, it's not a ton of defense. As you only really had one team rank in the top 50 in all of college basketball in terms of just total possessions per game. But you take a look at some of these teams, and the Big Sky also is in this vein. Not a lot of defense at all. I don't want up leading the way in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. They were 349th in the country. That was not necessarily too terrific, but not a lot of teams that they weren't far off. Northern Colorado, they wound up ranking 331st. With this regard, you also wound up having Northern Arizona, another team with an N in front of their name. They wound up ranking 329th. You didn't wind up seeing a lot of defense out of some of these other ancillary teams as well, like a Eastern Washington, who wound up being 270th, though, in their first year. They actually did a very good job considering everything that wound up happening under a new coaching regime. I will give a little bit of credit where credit is due, but down the list, Montana wound up being 226th. 
with this regard. Portland State was not necessarily a buzzsaw on defense either. You wound up having Weber State wind up clocking at 190th, and now they've got a little bit of a new coaching regime that is going to be coming in as well as Portland State, to my point a little bit earlier, 166th in the country, so and you're able to go down the list. I don't know if you wind up having a single team rank at the top 75 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis in the entirety of this conference, so that was a little bit of an issue for many of these teams, but what you wind up finding with regards to the totals is that when things wind up getting in conference, with these teams not being able to stop a nosebleed, you wind up seeing a whole lot of games wind up going over the total, and as a matter of fact, the top over team in this conference in Northern Colorado, 22 overs, 12 unders, and a push. Just 12 teams wind up having a better over rate than them last season, and they were the tip of the iceberg of a conference that you wind up seeing it with a bunch of teams, as you only had two teams wind up playing fewer overs than unders. Northern Arizona at 13 overs, 15 unders, and two pushes. Sacramento State, who they're under the tutelage now of David Patrick. 12 overs, 14 unders as a push as Montana. 18 overs, 11 unders. Eastern Washington, 19 overs, 12 unders and a push. Idaho State, 17 overs, 11 unders. Weber State, 18 overs, 12 unders and a push. Idaho, 16 overs, 11 unders, two pushes. Southern Utah, now out of the full 19 overs and 14 unders. Montana State, 18 overs, 15 unders, and then a relatively 50-50 split with Portland State, 15 overs to 14 unders. And it really wound up cranking up in terms of conference play as in conference play, Two teams wound up having an overrate below 56.5%. The two that I mentioned earlier, Sacramento State and Northern Arizona. As a matter of fact, Northern Colorado, Idaho State, Montana, and Eastern Washington all wound up playing at least 66.7% of their conference games over the total. That is just absolutely nuts. Now, when things were in non-conference play, you actually did wind up seeing this be a little bit more of an under-conference. You only wound up having three teams wind up playing more overs than unders, and I will say this as well. You did wind up having six teams be approximately 50-50 with regards to their over and under rate, but that is something that I wound up finding to be very surprising, and with the Big Sky, it is one of the most spread out conferences in all of college basketball. You've got a team as northward as Portland State, and then you've got a team in Flagstaff, Arizona, with a bunch of teams in between out there in the Montanas, so travel, it is quite illustrious with regards to this conference, to say the least, so you take a look at how home teams wind up doing in terms of this conference, and there really wasn't a lot of advantage, which I think is the contrary to what a lot of people would believe, because Montana... They had a 9-5 against the spread record at home. Idaho, 8-5 against the spread record at home. Everyone else on their home floor wound up going 6-8 against the spread or worse, including Weber State, who was just a dumpster fire at home. 2-11 at covering the spread at home. Northern Colorado, 2-8-1 against the spread at home. You wound up having Idaho State, Sacramento State, finished 3-8 against the spread at home. It was very cataclysmic, and I think a lot of it had to do with there was no defense played by anyone in this conference whatsoever, and you're also dealing with gyms in which they aren't necessarily super-duper packed. We're going to call it what it is. 
Having to go to Greeley, Colorado is not like having to go to Cameron Indoor Stadium. I am sorry, Greeley, Colorado, but it is what it is. But take a look at the way that these teams wound up performing on the road. Only two teams wound up finishing with a below 500 rate in terms of cover rate on the road. Southern Utah is no longer in the conference. And Montana, they went 4-9-1 against the spread on the road. You had a bunch of road warriors in this conference. Eastern Washington, 14-5 against the spread on the road. Idaho, Weber State, 9-4 against the spread. Montana State, Portland State, Northern Arizona, all either 9-5 or 9-5-1 against the spread on the road. Northern Colorado, 10-6-1 against the spread on the road. So these teams were able to do an absolutely masterful job of being able to have their shooting traveling. You wound up having a lot of good three-point shooting teams in this conference as Northern Colorado, for instance. This team was number 32 in all of college basketball in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but if you want to dive into the nitty-gritty, they were able to be a team that, as well, was able to have down counts, be able to give you right around 21 points per contest. He was someone that, just by himself, wound up shooting in the neighborhood about 42% from three-point range, and you take a look at them. They were a team that they very much relied upon the three-point shot, and oftentimes, the three-point shot was able to bail them out. They were 13th in the country in terms of overall team three-point shooting percentage, and then you wind up going on down the line, and you wind up having Idaho and Montana State finish 35th and 36th in terms of three-point shooting percentage, including Montana State having this ridiculous split. They shot 32.2% from three-point range at home, 39.1% on the road. That was absolutely ridiculous, and goes to show you that there was a lot of defense being played by a lot of these teams at home. Eastern Washington, they wound up being 58th in the country in terms of three-point shooting percentage. You also wound up having a relatively good three-point shooting season out of Weber State, who was 107th with this regard as well, and they wound up having a situation where they shot 29.3% from three-point range at home, 38.9% on the road. I am not even kidding. I don't know how. I don't know why. But there were so many teams in this conference that they shot ridiculously good from three-point range on the road. Northern Arizona, a little bit more traditional, 35% from three-point range at home, 33.7 on the road. They were 130th overall in terms of three-point shooting percentage, so a little bit more to the norm there. But we wound up seeing it with so many teams out there in this conference, which is why you wound up seeing those just tremendous home and road splits. And for Portland State, this was the team that wound up getting hot towards the end of the season. They went 4-13 and straight up to begin the season. They were dealing with the first-year head coach in Jace Coburn. They had a bunch of transfers, and they're going to have a lot of transfers once again this season. But they went 15-8 and against the spread in conference play, including just running off a big, giant flurry at the end of the season, in which they wound up being able to go 10-4 and against the spread in their final 14 games. So matching that straight-up mark that they wound up having to end the campaign as well. So it's a very strange conference in which Home court advantage didn't wind up meaning much, even though you wound up having just a boatload of travel in general. This is a conference that is full of teams that they don't necessarily go super-duper up-tempo. It's a little bit more of an up-tempo conference, but it's nothing to the extreme. Just lots of three-point shooting. Lots of teams are able to hit threes, and not a lot of teams are able to guard threes. So, that is going to make things very interesting, and I think that even though you do wind up losing Southern Utah from last season, so that drops this conference from 11 teams to 10. We're going to see a lot of the same this season, and here to talk about that in a little bit more detail and how these rosters are going to be looking, that would be Lance Hartzler. He does a great job over there at Mid-Major Madness. He also does a great job with 406 Montana Sports and the Missoulian. Does a great job taking a look at Montana basketball. 
does a great job taking a look at Montana basketball, and he's going to be joining me next to help me break down this conference right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Craig Peterson, now a part of the Houston Family Podcast, the Big Sky Preview Edition. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. 
and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Spears, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Here to join me on this Big Sky Preview Edition, it is Lance Hartzler. He does a great job following Montana men's basketball over there at the Missoulian, along with 406 Sports, 406, and you code out there in the great state of Montana. On top of that, this is a man that is an editor over there at Mid-Major Madness. We like those people because they have pay attention to a lot of the great conferences and a lot of the great schools out there that should be getting a little bit more love. And to be able to follow Lance on Twitter, that is at Lance underscore hearts, R-A-T-Z on the back half of that. And Lance, it is great to have you aboard, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, man. Really appreciate you coming on. Love talking Big Sky Hoops all the time, even though it's late June, almost July. Always something to talk about. Yes, sir. There is no shortage of basketball to talk about with regards to the transfer portal as well, because over 1,700 guys wound up entering into it. We've got a little bit of a new look Big Sky this year with having Southern Utah in the fold, which means that well, we don't need to bother to break them down. I will be doing that during my <laughs> whack preview, but with that said, <laughs> A school that wound up seeing a lot of changes offseason, that'd be Weber State. And I think that it is going to be really interesting to see what winds up happening with Weber State because Randy Ray was at the helm for so long for Weber State, a team that year in and year out, they typically aren't necessarily the number one team in this conference, but they're just perennially a top five team. Now they wind up having a little bit of a regime change. And along with that, three other top four scorers from last year are gone. So Eric Duff does wind up having his hands full, but quite a few transfers coming in, including a guy that I like in Keith Dinwiddie from San Diego State. What do you think the outlook is for this team? Because they've got one star in Dylan Jones, but I think the question mark is who's going to be able to help him out? You know, you mentioned the regime change. You can never count out Weaver State. Even with Randy Ray, they were always at the top. Even when they weren't expected to necessarily be that good, they have always found a way to be just a thorn in the top of the big sky. You can always count on them to be there. I don't think anything changes. I think there's still a team that will probably be picked in the top five in the preseason polls. You mentioned Dylan Jones. He's kind of your do-it-all forward who, you know, maybe he gets more shots next year. No Kobe McEwen, no Jarek Harding, who he also played briefly with. He's played with guards who are really high-volume guys. Next year, 
we might actually get to see Dylan Jones be the best player. And I think that's going to be really fun to watch. He's 6'6", 240, kind of your throwback power forward in a way, but also kind of modern. He can step out, pass, and hit threes. I love if they can build their offense around him in the high post in two-man game. Another guy to look out for, Zahir Porter, who's coming into his senior year. He's a 6'6", lanky wing. I watched him play UM. He is a confident player. I think even with, like I said, the departure of Kelly McEwen, giving him another chance to really kind of shine. No other main ball handler kind of there. They're going to need someone to kind of pop and step up. I think he's got the biggest chance, and if he can do something, that's going to be big for them. Yep, and to your point, if they can find that main ball handler, that guy that can give you three and a half or so assists per game, that'd be absolutely massive for Weber State. But when you have a guy that lies here, on the average, you get a double-double at Mr. Dylan Jones. That's a good place to be able to start. And for Montana, they also are going to need to replace their main ball handler as Cameron Parker. He actually wound up going to Portland State. We'll get to Portland State in a few minutes, but he wound up having an interconference transfer with that regard. But for Montana as well, they wound up getting one of the biggest transfers in this conference. They bring in Deshaun Thomas. He was over at Colorado State last season, a Colorado State team that they were in the top 25 last season, wound up making the NCAA tournament. That's going to be big for Travis Akira. Missing out on Parker, that is going to be a little bit tough for the team, but they do wind up bringing back Josh Bannon. Big question I have for Montana, can they improve upon being one of the worst teams in all of college basketball in terms of offensive rebound rate and give themselves a couple more second chances? Just by the fact that they brought in a guy like Deshaun Thomas and another underrated get was Lyolu Oke from I think from MSU Denver. He's coming up from the lower runs, but he's a guy – They've touted as your high energy, I'm just going to go crash the glass and be an athlete. So by just by the fact that they added two guys like that into the fold, their rebounding, their defense, their versatility already gets better. Jay liked to play quick. I know that's been kind of a telltale sign of last year. They played great in transition. Travis Secure really loved to see them run. They didn't do it all that often because on defense they do like to kind of sit back, really guard, make things tough, and that always doesn't always make times easy for transition. But And losing Cam Parker obviously hurts that. He was really kind of that engine for their transition offense. So I think their offensive rebounding should take an uptick, and my fear for them is how their guard rotation really shapes out. Cam Parker was that important for them as the sixth man of the year out of the big sky, the co-sixth man of the year with Raekwon Battle from Montana State. He really was their starting point guard in a sense, even though Brandon Whitney and they obviously lost Robbie Beasley the third, who was one of their best scorers, who their best three-point shooter. They lost him to a transfer to UC Davis. Their guard lineup is going to be a little funky next year. It's going to be a lot of young guys, a lot of freshmen, some guys like Josh Vasquez who have kind of been in and out of the rotation. So it's kind of TBD of how that really shapes out. You got to hope Brandon Whitney takes a step offensively. We know he's arguably the best defensive player in the league. Got to hope Josh Vasquez is able to kind of rekindle some things he had in freshman sophomore year. Freshmen like Isaiah Kerr, Jackson Knapp, you got to hope they can contribute because other than that, there's not a lot at guard for UM. But we know they got Deshaun Thomas is a great solid big. Josh Bannon is a, is a rising star in the big sky. And Mac Anderson is one of the more unheralded bigs in the league. Yep, with Montana, certainly losing Cameron Parker, that is going to be hurting them a little bit. But Travis Kier always has his team towards the top of the conference. Would be hard to see anything other than that for Montana this season. And Lance is a man that is on the Montana beat, so he would know all too well about that. As we do have Lance Hartzler joining me right here on the podcast. Does a great job being able to cover Montana basketball and the big sky in general. And 
I mentioned the fact that Cameron Parker is going to be going to Portland State. And for Portland State, it's pretty much a hockey-style line change for them as each other top seven scores from last year are gone. Now, they did wind up bringing in some talent in the transfer portal. If Keyshawn Sanders can get back to what he wound up doing his freshman year at Toledo, where he averaged nearly eight points per game with a solid three-point shooter, that's going to be a good get. Jarrell Satterfield, someone that wound up getting some starts at Utah. He's able to shoot threes. Hunter Woods, someone that was able to pull in some rebounds over there at Elon. We already mentioned what you were able to get out of Cameron Parker. Once had 24 assists in a game. As that said, Kadar, by the way, Bobby Harvey, he's going to be coming in for my APY. Kendall Munson, a former top five recruit from the state of Seattle, I believe for the class of 2020, according to 24-7 Sports. Good pieces. Question is, are these pieces all going to come together? Because for Portland State, this is a complete and utter new look team. After last year, it was a complete new look team that it took time for it to come together as they won winning 10 out of their last 14 games, but dug themselves a 4-13 and hole to begin the season. Right, you mentioned that Portland State. I named them a couple times last year. They were the most dangerous team in the Big Sky headed down the stretch. They were a fun, dangerous team to watch. They played probably one of the fastest paces, I think, in the league near the end. And like you said, it is a line change. We don't really know how all those pieces are going to fit. It's a lot of transfers, a lot of guards. I'm looking at their roster right now. I'm counting only two guys who stand 6'9 or taller. A handful, like two, six, seven, six, eight guys. So I think it's going to be very similar to last year where you have one true big with four guards just running. And that's going to make them dangerous in of itself. Even if they're not that good, even if the wins don't necessarily come at a consistent rate, that is going to be a fun and dangerous team. If they can keep that type of high pressure, high octane offense that they've kind of been known for the last couple of years, they've really kind of found a niche with that, really try to bother teams and be different because a lot of the big sky teams they do like to play a little slower try to play more true bigs if they can find a way to cause those mismatches force teams like montana for instance who play big force them to go small and play their game that's going to make them a dangerous team in the league especially if cam parker can kind of find something as a true lead guard because he hasn't really been that throughout his entire college career he's always been a six man kind of a second fiddle third fiddle where he's really just initiator when he's aggressive, he is one of the best guards in the league. If he can find something there and really be the true motor for that Vikings offense, that could be a terrifying team down the stretch of the Big Sky next year. And this is one of these teams that I think is a little bit of a wild card as well. I saw on your Twitter, in your Twitter profile, you are a graduate of Northern Arizona. I take a look at the Lumberjacks and they bring back Jalen Cohn, who transferred in from Virginia Tech, averaging nearly 19 points per game last season. And after a couple of rough games, to begin the season last year, he was really able to get things going. They bring in a guy in Xavier Fuller who was a nice contributor over there at South Dakota. Carson Tote was able to give the team nine rebounds per game. Nick Main stands six foot eight. He shoots forty percent from three point range. Ezekiel Richards, he's a six foot ten true big man that's able to give you blocks. Problem is, you really don't have a lot of depth when it comes to this Northern Arizona team. You need someone like a Jaden Jackson from the great state of Wisconsin to be able to step up for the team a little bit, but. I take a look at Northern Arizona. They did lose each other their last eight games to finish off the season. Six of those games, though, were by single digits. It felt like this team was relatively close. With all the star power that returns for Northern Arizona, I think this team could be a force in the conference. I've covered NAU in the past, actually. Obviously, I'm an NAU graduate. I worked at the Arizona Daily Southern Flagstaff before I moved up here to Montana. I was a beat writer covering the NAU men's basketball team. I have seen a lot of NAU basketball, and I – they're always a team that on paper, they might have one or two dudes that have popped. They had Jalen Cohn this year. Two years ago, they had Cameron Shelton, who was one of the best guards in the league before he transferred to Lyola Marymount in California. 
they've had guys like Chris Yonku in the past when they were really good and they won, they went to the CIT tournament under former head coach Jack Murphy. But since that CIT run, NAU has just been in the bottom dweller, <laughs> the bottom dweller of the big sky. They haven't really done much. And I don't really know if they can figure it out next year. They got Jalen Cohn. And as long as you got a guy like that who can pull up from 30 some odd feet and score, even when teams are doubling him on high pick and rolls, you have a chance, but they need to start figuring out the rest of that roster. Tao is a solid big, but he's prone to foul trouble. He also, I noticed, gets some chippy, some dirty plays. He gets involved with some questionable calls I noticed against Montana this past year. Keith Heyman is still around. He's a streaky shooter. Nick Maine somehow is still in college. He was there, I think, when I was at NAU. He's been around forever. So I think it's just Shane Burkhardt now has really been there for a minute. He's got another guy, Xander Fuller, coming in, who, he, who Shane Burkhardt coached in high school down at Mesa High in the Valley in Arizona. He has something hopefully brewing, but I think he's been really struggling to find that identity and really mesh his guys. There's been a lot of outgoing transfers, hard to really have a strong continuity down there. It's been a tough job so far, and I think NAU, they're still in for some rough times ahead. Yep, I do think that for NAU – Probably not going to be a case of which you're going to be making the NCAA tournament or anything, but at the very least, you have a little bit of excitement. And I feel like you're able to say the same in terms of the excitement aspect for this school as well as we do have Lance Hartzler joining me on the podcast. Does a great job with 406 Sports along with the Missoulian being able to take a look at all things that we've got in terms of Montana basketball. Also an editor over there at Mid-Major Madness. And for Ido, if nothing else, they were more entertaining last season, two seasons ago. That team was putrid on offense. They were averaging 61 <laughs> points per game. It was unwatchable basketball. <laughs> Last year, I know, actually wound up averaging over 70 points per contest. Now, they played defense that would make Casper the friendly ghost blush as they were in the bottom 10 in all of college basketball points a lot on a per possession basis. They could not get a turnover to save their lives. But at the very least, they were able to put the ball in the basket. But now you wind up losing Mikey Dixon. You wind up losing a lot of those guys that... They were able to put the ball in the basket. Trevante Anderson was a relatively solid rebounder for the team. And, I mean, to their credit, they actually did a solid job being able to bring in a few transfers. Taron Frank is a former top 200 recruit. That was at TCU and Vanderbilt. They're going to be bringing in Devonte Moffitt, who at the D2 level for Seattle Pacific, wound up putting up right around 19.5 points per game. Trey Smith saw some stars at San Jose State. But until Zach, don't call him Santa Claus, is able to bring the gift of being able to give this team a little bit of defense I think it might be a little bit tough for them once again this year yeah I'm with you on that one they brought in a lot of transfers that look like they can kind of fill the roles of Shavante Anderson and Mikey Dixon who really they were the best players on what was a really rough team last year it was a better team than we've seen under Zach Claus in the past but that's not much better than what they've had been they could score the ball finally Mikey Dixon gave them some pop Shavante Anderson was able to score when teams triple teamed Mikey Dixon so you just got to hope guys like Moffitt, guys like Taryn Frank, they can pop and give you some replacement and hope that maybe you can start really, it's just like NAU, you can start developing a culture. And that's what's really been a problem for these kind of teams where they have a lot of movement, a lot of guys coming in and out, they're relying on fourth, fifth year seniors or transfers to just kind of be one year mercenaries to keep the flow going but they don't have any homegrown talent to really back them up. And they've been really struggling to continue any success or have a one-off year of just dominance or fun year. They're just kind of perpetually near the bottom of the big sky. Idaho's generally finished between 9 and 11. And now next year, probably between 8 and 10, I don't see much anything different. 
Yep, I don't know if I see anything different for Idaho State as well. They were bottom dwellers in the conference last season, and boy, they wind up losing their top score injury. Cool from last season. They do bring back Jared Rodriguez, someone who's able to put in right around eight to nine points per game. Very well travel band when it comes to sort of the mountainous region of the country in terms of playing basketball. I believe that he actually began his career at Idaho, but I do take a look at this bunch. When Braden Parker is one of your top returning guys, someone who's able to give the team right around three and a half to four rebounds per game, you're going to be relying upon Dax and Carr for buckets. I don't see a lot here. They did wind up bringing in Kobe Lee from BYU, but I'm not sure about you, but I take a look at Ido Seda, and I don't think that there's a lot of hope for this team avoiding the bottom of the conference. Yeah, I'm going to say they're much of the same that they've been as well. I mean, A.J. Bergen, he's a fun young piece out of San Diego, California. He gives them some pop. He'll he'll be a nice replacement for Tarek Cool and Robert Ford. Robert Ford obviously transferred to Montana State. We'll be talking about them in a minute. But, man, that's not a lot to talk about with Idaho State. <laughs> they're another rough team. Austin Smelly gives them some, at least someone who's been there a while. He's been in the system. He's been able to contribute. Daxton Carr is a fun player. He's a six-seven power forward center who can hit deep shots and give you something. But they're another one of those teams that's just going to finish in the low end of the league. And really, they're going to compete. They might sneak a win. They beat UM in a really thumping last year. It was one of the weirder games I've watched all year. They'll be good for one of those, but once you get to the conference tournament time, they're not anything to really shake a stick at. Yep, I'm right there with you. I think that it's going to be rough for both of the Idaho teams this year, a little bit more bearish on Idaho State, because at the very least for Idaho, you've got guys who are going to be able to put the ball in the basket, and when you wind up having games of no defense whatsoever, at the very least, that means that you're going to be able to get a little bit of scoring, as Lance Hertzler is going to be right here on the Big Sky Preview Edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, and but if we dive into the team that wound up representing the Big Sky in the NCAA tournament last season, Montana State, they do wind up missing a few guys from last season. That is going to be tough, but they still have a guy in Raekwon Battle who a few seasons ago wound up coming in from Washington, six foot five combo player that's able to shoot threes. They did a great job in the transfer portal. We talked about Idaho State not having much. Robert Ford the third is a big reason why Idaho State was not able to achieve what they wanted to last season because he wanted getting hurt after something like eight or nine games. He was absolutely terrific for them a few seasons ago. They bring in Darius Brown the second, who in terms of assist to turnover rate two seasons ago before things went straight down the toilet with the whole situation that wanted going on with CSUN and Mark Gottfried and company. He was one of the best players in terms of assist to turnover ratio in the country. They also bring back Jabriel Bello, one of the top and one of the more unheralded big men out there nationally, in my opinion. Great Osa Bohr is someone that was coming in from England. He's got a good, exciting game. I like what I saw out of Montana State. It was the first time in program history, by the way, at the D1 level, that they wanted winning more than 21 games as a member of the Big Sky. I don't know if they're going to quite get back to 27 wins a season, but Montana State, with all that they're bringing back, should be once again towards the top of this conference. Yeah, I mean, last year was magic for Montana State. I mean, led by alumnus, alumnus Danny Sprinkle. He just inked an extension with him as well. He led them to the promised land. They had a resurgence of all resurgences last year, and they got the. They were the beneficiaries of the extra COVID year. A lot of those guys that they had leading the charge, Xavier Bishop, Adamu, Muhammad, they were older guys, frankly. They were in their fifth years for the most part, fifth, six years. So they had the benefit of just having guys who were able to play college basketball for a long time, really stick together. Most of them had been at MSU for a minute, for two, three years. And now you bring back a similar thing. Jabril Bell is the defending defensive player of the year and MVP in the big sky. You have that returning, you're going to be a favorite in the league. 
I didn't think they would be as good as they were last year. I ate crow on that. They were obviously phenomenal. They ran through the league, and they really showed that they were a good team. That continuity mattered, that they were able to really bring that forward. And if they can do it again, that's a dangerous team. I mean, Raekwon Battle gives you the pop they need. He's the exciting. He will dunk on anyone. He'll chuck threes that infuriate you, but he'll make them sometimes. Jabril Bellows, your steady, heady guy in the paint. Tyler Patterson's a consistent three-point shooter. Great Osabor is just Jabril Bello off the bench. Nick Gazalis, guys like Carter, or I'm sorry, Sam Lechelak, another just beefy guys that fill the role. They have a niche with these really thick bigs that no one in the big sky can really match up with. And now you bring in Darius Brown and Robert Ford to replace Adamu and Bishop. If they can fill those roles even somewhat, you got exactly the same team, for lack of a better word. Like they're not much different than they were last year. They have a chance to be pretty good again. And I think that this team has a chance to be relatively solid as well. Eastern Washington, their 18 and 16 year last year, I consider it to be a rousing success under David Riley, considering all the circumstances. They made the NCAA tournament in 2021. They lost their coach in Shante Leggins, who he did a pretty good job at Portland last year, and they lost each other top seven scorers, but they wound up finding a man by the name of Steele Venters, who wound up leading the team with 16 and a half points per game as a true freshman. And you wind up having quite a few of the guys around him, like Ryland Burgesson, Linton L. Lace, being out of the full. But you do wind up having a few guys that like coming in via the transfer portal. Tyrese Davis is someone that's a nice six foot six wing that's able to bury some threes. Comes in from a Jacksonville team that was one of the better mid majors in terms of college basketball defense. Dane Erickstrup is a six foot ten gentleman from D2 Cal Poly Panoma who wound up being able to shoot right around 40% from three. Someone that's able to give you some good rebounding. And I do think that Elias Magnuson, who has been with the program for quite a while, he can fill in for a lot of the assists that is left behind by Bergerson being out of the fold. I take a look at Eastern Washington. I don't think that they're going to wind up winning the conference or anything like that. But when you've got a guy like Venters that's able to put up 16 and a half points per game as a freshman, I think that that number is only going to be going up from here. That's a good place to build. Yeah, exactly. They return one of the best returning players in the league with Venters and Ellis Magnuson ain't bad either. They lost some talent, obviously, but Eastern Washington, they're the type of program that David Riley, he was with Shantae Leggins for a while. He knew the culture, and he's really just continued what Leggins was doing with Eastern Washington before he left for Portland. They play a similar style. It has a new look to it just a little bit. Riley's added his own, his, his own little flair. But for the most part, this isn't much different program than what Leggins had. It's a very similar style. They run similar sets. They have a similar focus on hitting threes and, frankly, kind of pissing teams off. They play a style, and they really like getting into teams' heads. They're that type of team that they're not afraid of a technical foul or to bait something. Everyone in the league I've asked kind of complains about Eastern Washington and their (laughs) antics. It continues on, and, frankly, it works. The program soldiers on. I think they're another team that really they're good for 500 at the least. Yep, I am in agreement with you there, and, With Northern Colorado, they've also got one of the most exciting players in the conference. As a matter of fact, they might have the most exciting player out there in the conference. Talent counts. You want to talk about making them count? 21.2 points per game. That was 10th among D1 players in college basketball last season. Now, the Achilles heel of Northern Colorado is that they were outside the top 330 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. They didn't play a lot of defense, but counts shot 42% from three-point range. Matt Johnson, who also returns, 13.5 points, 3.5 assists, 
He shot 42.5% from three-point range. Now, losing guys like Bodie Hume, Kerr Junkic, who were able to be very good role players for the team, that is an issue. So it is going to be a team that's going to be thin down low. And once again, it is a case of which I felt like Montana State, a big reason why they had the success that they wound up having last year's season is that they play defense at teams like a Northern Colorado. They need to discover how to be able to play a little bit of defense. But if absolutely nothing else, Northern Colorado should be halfway decent once again this season. And this is a team that they're going to put up their points. They're what Idaho aims to be, right? They are an all-offense team. They love the three ball. They were not shy at all to let it fly from three. I personally was a big Bodie Hume fan during his time at Northern Colorado. I thought he was one of the better players in the league for much of his time. Kind of underperformed a little bit. But Dalen Koontz was just came from Colorado, transferred up to Northern Colorado, and just shined for that program. And he made the decision to come back instead of after briefly testing the NBA draft waters. He opted to come back instead of transfer again. He's like, no, I'm back. And that's, in my opinion, he is the best player returning. Jabil Bella was awesome. He won his awards, frankly, because Montana State was by far and away the best team. Dalen Cooch should be the Big Sky preseason MVP. Eventually, he should win it. He is that dynamic. He's a phenomenal scorer at all levels. He leads that team. And then his running mate, Matt Johnson, is the perfect guy next to him. He plays a bit of defense. He's a great three-point shooter. They're the best backcourt in the league. Losing John Cook is kind of a killer because he was their anchor down low. They really relied on him for rebounding and just easy dunks when that three ball was really opening up the floor. And he was their anchor on defense. They needed that back line. So I'm worried about how they adjust. But according from what I've heard, Jamal Melvin has been a good piece for them. He's a little skinnier, 6'11", 200, kind of thin, kind of wiry. But John Cook at the end of the day was only 6'9", like maybe 230. He looked wiry as well. He was a strong guy. If Melvin can kind of fill that role and really give them that element of defense inside and add to their depth, that's where that team's going to succeed. I see them kind of like Eastern Washington, right? They lost their head coach, Jeff Linder, to Wyoming. He moved on up. Steve Smiley, who had been with the program for a couple years, he knew the culture. He slots in wonderfully, gets promoted, and just continues on, continues the culture, knows how to continue building. It's a similar program. That's what they need to do. They need to have that culture, and they've just kept building. Slot right in perfectly. And Northern Colorado, they should be good for be a top-five team next year as well. I agree with you on Northern Colorado being towards that top five once again when you have a guy in Dalen Koontz who is able to really put the ball in from three-point range. That's terrific. One thing that might be holding him back, and it seems like we agree, the fact that the team really plays no defense whatsoever, but nothing else that's going to be a lot of fun watching them being sort of in that top half of the conference. And then we've got one team left to be able to break down, and this is a team that they've got a lot of new parts, including a new coach. That would be Sacramento State. Sacramento State did not wind up having things be able to work out last season. Brandon Laird was the interim coach after you wound up seeing a regime change pretty much in the summertime. It was a little bit sudden when it came to Sacramento State, so that wound up being a big issue. But David Patrick is someone that wound up having success at UC Riverside. Last two years, he was on the Arkansas and Oklahoma coaching staffs. And as a matter of fact, he takes a player with him in a cool Mawain from Oklahoma, a former top two a former top 10 Juco transfer. So he should be able to add something for this team. Hunter Marks is a versatile player from Hartford that's able to shoot threes at his previous stop of UC Riverside. He had a seven foot one gentleman in Colin McCray who was able to just 
fill things up down low. He is back, and it's actually a very good passer, despite the fact that he's nearly 300 pounds. Austin Patterson is able to shoot threes. He comes in from Wofford. You see Irvine transfer. Isaiah Lee, one of the better on-ball defenders that you're going to find. And what Sacramento State is doing is they're zagging while everyone else is zigging. As I'm sure that you would agree, the big sky full of a lot of teams that they love the three ball. They love offense. Sacramento State, it's clear what they're going to be doing. They're going to be looking to play a little bit of defense, and I love what David Patrick has been able to build. Yeah, that's exactly when when Brian Katz's teams were good at Sacramento State. They were a defensive-oriented, slow. They went against the grain. They didn't really play the same style the rest of the league did. They, play, they played a way that really just was kind of ugly to watch. I'm not a big fan of it. It's slow. It looks like you're watching the 1960s, but it worked. It would look good for them, and it's going to work. If David Patrick can kind of rekindle some of that, he brought in so many big guys, just lanky, humongous human beings. If any of those guys can provide offense and give you something, if your guards can provide spacing, they could be a solid team. It's obviously a building project. Sacramento State has been kind of a meh program the last couple years. They had Bryce Fowler last year, who was just a phenomenal all-around player on what was kind of a meh overall team, but he was a bright spot. If they can find a replacement for him, whether that's – Johnny Hunt, whether that's Austin Patterson, any of these bigs that they got, they can find a way to kind of change the culture at Sac State. I've heard wonderful things about Patrick from my media buddies down in Sacramento. They seem to like the direction the program's going. It obviously ended in a questionable way between Laird and the program, Cats even leaving early before the season for his personal reasons. Kind of put the program in a weird spot. Some people weren't a big fan of how Patrick got the job in response to Laird not quite being considered. There's some questions around that. But they've moved on. And if Patrick can build something and really have a culture there in Sacramento, that would work well. And that's a program that kind of is a little bit dormant. They got a strong football program. They got a decent athletics department. That's a program that really the big sky could use to be better. Yep, and I do think that there's going to be some big strides forward taken for Sacramento State and Lance. You're a man that you're going to be taking a lot of strides forward with regards to all the work that you're doing this offseason as well. as I know you do some work over there at Mid-Major Madness. 406 Montana Sports, the Missoulian list goes on and on. You're a very busy man. You do a great job of covering things out there in the great state of Montana and a little bit beyond with regards to your work over there at Mid-Major Madness. So let the good people at home know what's all on tap for you and how people can follow along with your work on social media and other platforms. Yeah, like you said, at Lance underscore Hartz, H-A-R-T-Z on my last name. It's Hartzler, but I like to like shorten hand for everyone. Yep. That's where you can find me on Twitter. You can find my work on 406ntsports.com, Mazillion.com as well. And, of course, Mid-Major Mattis. I love giving the shout-out to the old blog that covers the college basketball teams that not enough people pay attention to, but I think it's where the most fun is. Appreciate you having me on today, man. Absolutely. And as I always say on this podcast, it doesn't matter if you win a bet on North Carolina versus Duke or if you wind up winning it on Sacramento State versus insert your colonial athletic association team here they all wind up counting the same and lance he does an amazing job being able to take a look at some of the great mid-majors that we've got out there over there at mid-major madness engaging montana sports in general so a big thanks to him for joining me right here on coast coast soups the big sky preview edition of the podcast and coming up next it is that time of the podcast i give you my projector or finish for the big sky The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on... 
the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here lovely Las Vegas. We're going to discuss you with myself, Guy Gibbs Spears, and now part of the Visa Family Podcast. Big thanks to Lance Hartzler doing a great job out there in the great state of Montana, covering a little bit of everything Montana sports, mid-major madness editor. He does a great job taking a look at all this, and he's got his iron in a few different fires when it comes to the big sky, as he is also an NAU graduate, Northern Arizona. So great to be able to get him aboard. Great to be able to take a look at these rosters in the big sky with him. And as per usual, when it comes to one of these conference previews, since I'm not doing the news and notes of college basketball from Thursday, we're going to get you guys covered with Thursdays and Fridays tomorrow on the podcast after I wind up watching the Minions movie. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So big thanks, Lance, for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you my projector or finish for the big sky and clocking in at dead last is going to be our good friends, Idaho State. Just an absolutely dreadful year for them last season, and they're just not bringing in anything this year either, as it's very much a skeleton crew. You wind up losing Tariq Cool, who wound up being really the only guy that was able to give the team double figures consistently last season, and now having to rely upon Austin Smiley, who wound up putting up seven points, three and a half rebounds per contest. This was a team that was very poor on offense. This is a team that they were pretty poor on defense last season as well. There's just really not a lot of redeeming qualities when it comes to this team. They bring in Jay Nagel. He was able to give UC Santa Barbara a few points per game after he was the top 500 recruit in his recruiting class, but you just take a look at what's coming back. You're going to be relying upon Dax and Carr for a big minutes. Jared Rodriguez, I was a little bit impressed by him last season as he was able to do some relatively solid things. A guy that was able to put up right in the neighborhood of about 7-8 to eight points per contest. He's got a little bit of versatility. is able to pull in their four rebounds per game, but when that's really your main guy, then you're looking to build around along with Braden Parker, who's able to give you right around four rebounds per game as well. Really leaves you in a big, giant, or speed situation. Kobe Lee should be able to come in from BYU. He was someone that in high school was very, very solid, but just has never been able to stay healthy himself. So, it's a team that's really breath of guard play. I think that's going to be a very long year for them. So, at number 10 in my projector finish, I am going to be going with with Idaho State. And number nine, we're going to be going with the other Idaho school. That would be the Vandals. Says out of 358 D1 schools, they were in the bottom five in college basketball and a lot of defensive metrics last season as they let teams really stomp the yard on them in terms of three-point shooting percentage. They were dead last in the country in terms of steals force on a per-possession basis. Now, they were able to do a good job of being able to kick things up on offense. They scored 10.9 points per contest more last season than they did two seasons ago, but you wind up losing Mikey Dixon along Travante Anderson. They're two top scorers who combined average 31 points, eight boards, five and a half assists per contest to Dixon, was shooting about 40% from three-point range. They do bring back Rashad Smith, 10 points, five boards, shot 44% from three and 
Terrence Frank. He was, according to 24-7 Sports, the number 175 recruit in the class of 2020. He's a 6'8 combo player. Shot 38.5% from three-point range while he was at TCU. You do bring in Trey Smith as well. He wound up making 22 starts out there in the Mountain West with San Jose State right around 8.5 points per game. But now you're looking for help from someone like a Yusef Salah who was able to put up 6 points per contest. Nigel Burgess, he comes in as a top 275 recruit. And Devontae Moffitt, I will say, at the D2 level, he put up 19.5 points per game when he was at Seattle Pacific, but until this team winds up giving you anything whatsoever on defense, really aren't going to have a lot of faith in them. I do think that it's going to be a core in which they're going to be able to put up some points to their credit, but I just don't see this necessarily being a team that is going to be able to hold teams to below 80 on a night in a night out basis, and that's really going to hurt them. So at number 9 in my projector finish, I'm going to be going with Ido. At number 8, Portland State is going to be the team. And for Portland State, they actually closed out last season with a flurry. They won 10 out of their last 14 games after a 4-13 and start under first-year coach Jace Coburn. But what is really big for the team is that they lose darn near everything from last season. So this is the second straight year in which they are pretty much having a turnstile. Each out of their top 8 scorers from last year are gone. Now, Cameron Parker, who has familiarity with the conference last season, he was at Montana. I believe that he is a native of Portland and nine points Four and a half assists, committed just two turnovers per contest, mid-33 point shooter, and while he was at Sacred Heart, had a D1 record 24 assists in the game. That's going to be able to help them out. Jarrell Satterfield, he shot 43.5% from three-point range in Conference USA for UTEP, but not necessarily a volume score of six points per contest. Bobby Harvey is someone that's coming in from IUPUI. He was injury riddled, and the question becomes, can Keyshawn Sanders get back to what he wound up doing his freshman year while he was at Toledo? He averaged seven and a half points per game, shot right around 37, 38% from three-point range. He saw a dip in his production each out of the last two seasons, so below four points per game last season. Kendall Munson, he's going to need to try to give this team a little bit of something down low. He was the number three Raider group from the state of Washington, according to 24-7 Sports for the year of 2020, but at Pepperdine, just was a big giant stink burger. You really don't have a lot down low in terms of this team. I like Cameron Parker out there in the backcourt, but I think that it's going to be another situation that with all the moving parts, Portland State is probably going to be a tough out towards the end of the season, but at the beginning of the campaign, it is going to be a little bit brutal for them. So, number eight of my projector finish, I'm going to be going with Portland State. And number seven, I am going to be riding with Northern Arizona. The Lumberjacks wound up closing out, losing each of their last eight games, six of them by single digits. They were very close, and they bring back darn near everyone, including leading rebounder Carson Tout. He wound up having eight and a half points. 8.8 boards, and he was also able to dish out 3.7 assists per contest. Ezekiel Richards is back. After he down low was able to lead the team in blocks, he was able to give the team right around four boards per game. And then you've got Jalen Cohn, the transfer from Virginia Tech that came in last season and wasn't necessarily the world's most efficient scorer, but he was able to put up 19 points, three and a half assists per game. He had 20.2 points per contest in the final 24 games of the season. And you've got reason to be excited with South Dakota transfer Xavier Fuller coming into the fold. He's going to look back to get to his 2020-2021 form, where he wound up having a three-point shooting percentage for right around 36%. That dipped to 26% last season, though. He averaged right around nine and a half points per game. Nick Maines is someone that's very versatile. He's six foot eight, shot 40% from three-point range, 11 and a half points, five boards per contest. They bring in Trent McLaughlin as well. Six foot six, 
combo player was able to shoot right around 40% from three. Team was dreadful on defense. They are open to be able to have a little bit of a turnaround with Liam Lloyd coming into the fold. He was one of the top recruits from the state of Washington a few seasons ago. Really did not wind up seeing a lot of playing time while he was at Grand Canyon. Northern Arizona probably going to have a little bit of a problem with depth, but I do think that they're building a little bit of upward momentum. I think the question is just being able to put the pieces together, and I don't know if they're going to be able to do so. So at number seven of my projector finish, I am going to be going with the Lumberjacks. At number six, Northern Colorado is going to be the team here as you've got Dallin Counts, who is going to make them count. 21.2 points per contest. I was 10th among D1 players last season, and he wound up shooting 42% from three-point range. They also bring back Mac Johnson. He was able to shoot 42.5% from three, led the way with nearly four assists per contest, 13.5 points per game, but you lose darn near everyone else, including Kerr Junkic, who was able to lead the team 8.5 rebounds per game. With him being out of the fold, counts as the only guy that returns that wound up putting up more than 3.6 rebounds per game, which means that Necht, who wound up being able to give the team nine points, three and a half boards per game as a wing. He's going to need to really do some big things. Northern Colorado was number 32 among D1 teams in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, but 331st in points allowed on a per-possession basis. This team could not force steals. They were in the bottom 10 in all of college basketball in that regard, and they do bring in a six foot nine combo player, Riley Abercrombie. He wound up beginning his career at Boise State, and then he went to Rice Goals as he shot 35% from three-point range with that size in 2020-2021, seven and a half points, four boards per game. I think that he's going to make a difference for Northern Colorado, and Northern Colorado has an electrifying score, but you wind up losing someone like a Bodie Hume who was able to do a little bit of everything for the team. It is going to set them behind the eight ball a little bit, but I do think the counts is good enough to be able to keep Northern Colorado towards the middle of the conference. I've got them number six in my projector or finish. And number five, I'm going to be going with Weber State. With Randy Ray now out of the fold for Weber State, it does wind up causing a little bit of question mark. And Chico Sisu Jawara, he is also going to be out of the fold for the scene. But the one thing that Weber State has is a guy that is able to stuff the sad sheet. And in a conference that really doesn't have supreme big men, you've got Dylan Jones, who was able to give the team 12.5 points, 10.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 1.8 seals per game, and shot 35.5% from three-point range. He is an all-conference type of player. Now, you're going to need Zaire Porter to be able to step up. He had just 5.8 points per game, shot 26% from three last season. After two seasons ago, he put up 12 points, two assists, and a steal per game while being able to shoot 42% from three-point range. They bring in Steven for Plankin Jr., six foot four gentleman that shot 39% from three in two seasons at Southern Illinois, one of the more low and slow teams in all of college basketball. Now, the question is going to be becoming, what do you wind up also getting out of Keith Dinwiddie Jr.? He wound up having five points per game on 45.5% three-point shooting a few seasons ago out there in the Mountain West. He also bring back Henji Tumba. He was at Tennessee. He is going to be coming in off of the new coach in Eric Duff. He is a seven-footer that was the number eight recruit from the state of Tennessee in 2021, was glued to the bench, but with having guys like a Dante Bassett out of the fold, he should be able to do a relatively solid job. Depth, I think, is going to be an issue for Weber State, but they are going to be solid down low. They're going to be one of the better defensive teams in this conference as well. Even with Randy Ray out of the fold, I think that Duff, someone who has spent a lot of time within the program, he is going to be able to do a solid job with a program that they did wind up losing four of their top five scorers from last year, including Cody McKeown, but I do think that with what Dylan Jones is able to do, this team is still going to have some good versatility, and I expect Porter to be able to step up. So, I've got this team, Weber State, number five in my projector of finish. At number four, I'm going to be going with my 
Montana. It is a little bit of a blow that you wind up losing Cameron Parker, but this is a team that did a very good job out there in the transfer portal. As they do bring back Ian Moody to the Big Sky as he was last year playing at Southern Utah that is now going to be at the WAC, or if they would have been staying in this conference, Southern Utah, they probably would be, if not number one, at the very minimum in the top three in this conference. He wound up shooting 88% at the free throw line last season, 40% from three, six and a half points per contest. You are also going to be bringing back Josh Vasquez, who's going to be looking back to the 2020-2021 form, where he wound up having eight points per contest. A gentleman that wound up shooting over 90% the free throw line, a 39% three-point shooter as well. The big thing is going to be looking for a little bit of facilitation, and while that's going to be a big question mark for this team, what you do also wind up having is Brandon Whitney back in the fold, who wound up having 11 points, two assists per contest. Now, with Montana, they also need to do a better job on the glass. They got a rebound at just 16% of their missed shots. That was 355th out of 358 D1 teams, but you do wind up bringing back Josh Bannon, the man from down under, comes in from Australia. 15 points, 8 boards, shot 35% from 3 point range. I do think that Deshaun Thomas, who is a starter for Colorado State, wound up putting up right around 6.3 rebounds per game. He's got a nice game as a 6'9 stretch player where he's able to shoot over 40% from 3. He is going to instantly boom in this conference. Montana, very well coached team. I do think that you're going to be able to see this team once again be towards the top of the conference. I don't know if they have the horses to be number one, but I do think that they're going to be maintaining a top half of the conference pedigree. I've got them number four in my projected order finish. And number three, I'm going to be going with Eastern Washington. They were a nice surprise last year because true freshman Stile Venters, he put the team on his back. He wound up being able to deliver a little bit over 16 points per contest last season and given that they really lost each other top seven scores and their coach from the team that made the 2021 NCAA tournament, it was a rousing success that they wound up going 18 and 16 last season. Mr. Venters shot 43.5% from three-point range. They bring in Tyrese Davis. He was a part of a Jacksonville team that was one of the best mid-major defenses in all of college basketball. Eight points, four and a half rebounds, shot 42.5% from three-point range. David Bohm, he's going to be coming in from Northern Kentucky where he was able to register right around seven and a half points per game in two seasons there. And Dane, Eric Stupp, he is a D2 transfer that comes in from Cal Poly Paloma. He is six foot ten. Last season as a true freshman, averaged 11 and a half points, five rebounds, and shot over 40% from three-point range. That is tremendous. Now, Rylan Burgesson being out of the fold. That hurts this team along with the duo of Angelo Algieri along with Linton Alciles being out of the fold. Algieri and Alciles, 28 and a half points, 14 rebounds between the two of them, but but is going to be able to help out this team, bringing in Ty Harper, someone who comes in from Louisiana, a guy that's able to shoot 36% from three-point range. This team is going to be a little bit tough down low, but Elias Magnuson, he, I think that he's going to be able to fill in for Ryland Burgesson pretty well, because before he wound up getting into the fold during the 2018-19 season, he was a primary ball handler for assists per contest for a team that did wind up playing very much up-tempo last season in more of a reserve role, was still able to give out two and a half assists per game. He's very much a pass-first guy, and I think that Steele Venters has a chance to go off, be that next 20 plus point per game score out there in a big sky that we're going to call it what it is. It's not necessarily known for its defense. So at number three, in terms of my projector finish, we're going to be going with Eastern Washington. At number two, I absolutely love what the team has done in the offseason and we're going to ride with it. Sacramento State, it was a big time calamity for the team last season. Brian Katz, 
stepped down relatively abruptly. Brandon Laird took over the program and wound up going 11-18. and 18. It was a little bit of a washout, and for Sacramento State, they did wind up losing quite a few pieces from last season, but they did wind up retaining a couple of guys as well as Zach Chappell along with Cameron Wilbon. They are a pair that wound up averaging 20.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, 2.4 steals per game at Chappell. He shot 36% from three-point range last season. Smaller sample size two years ago with the pandemic, but made 50 percent of his three-point range, and this team wound up just ravaging the Big West of transfers. Isaiah Lee, he was a part of a UC Irvine team that they wound up playing some of the best defense at all of college basketball. He was a 40% three-point shooter for them, one of the better on-ball defenders in this conference. It's clear what Sacramento State is doing. They are seeing a big sky in which nobody plays defense, and they wind up bringing in David Patrick. Former UC Riverside coach, does a great job being able to preach defense, was an assistant at Arkansas and Oklahoma the last two seasons, and won the gentleman they wind up coaching at Oklahoma. Akala Mawain, after he wound up seeing a lot of the bench last season, he comes in. According to 24-7 Sports, he was the fifth-rated Juco transfer from the 2021 season. Has a little bit of stretchability at six foot eight. They bring in Oregon State's GNI Hunt, who wound up having five points and two and a half assists per contest on 37% three-point shooting when the team wound up making the Elite Eight in 2021. Played just nine games last season. Him coming off of injury, I do think that he's going to be able to boom Hunter Marks. He's a six foot nine combo player who wound up putting up 12 points per contest for a team that two seasons ago in Hartford made the NCAA tournament. Last season was able to deliver four. Four and a half boards, two and a half assists, 1.3 blocks per contest. And then on top of that, you bring in Kyle McCray. He is seven foot one, and he is going to be one of the best rim protectors in this conference. 11.7 rebounds, and he's seven foot one and is able to give out two and a half assists per contest. I absolutely love the job that he wound up doing, Mr. Patrick did, while he was over there at U3 Riverside. I think that he's going to be able to do a good job here. I've got Sacramento State with doing just a masterful job in the transfer portal as my number two team and my projector finished for the Big Sky, and I've got Montana State repeating. I've got them number one. The Bobcats won 27 games last season after in each other first 58 years in existence in the Big Sky, winning 21 games or fewer. You wind up seeing Mr. Danny Sprinkle do an absolutely amazing job with this program, and they do have to replace two other top three scorers, but the one guy that's returning, Jabari Bell, he wound up being able to lead the team with six and a half rebounds, 1.8 blocks per contest, go with his 13 points per game. Montana State was one of the best teams in terms of opponents' offensive rebound rate. Opponents could only pull in 20.8% of their missed shots. That was in the top 15 in all of college basketball. And then you've got a guy in Raekwon Battle who wanted coming in from Washington. He and Tyler Peterson combined for 15.5 points per contest, combined to shoot 36.5% from three and 87.5% at the free throw line. This was a top 20 team in terms of free throw shooting percentage last season as well. A clean bill of health for Robert Ford the third is going to be big. He was out there for Idaho State two seasons ago, putting up their 11.5 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, 1.2 seals per game on 36.5% three-point shooting was injured last season and then you also wind up bringing back Nick Gonzalez another good sharpshooter made 87% of his free throws 36% from three-point range great Oboser that's a great name six points 4.2 rebounds per game as a true freshman with seven and a half points 5.2 rebounds per game in the final 13 games he was able to get better down the stretch and this team has facilitation one of the more underrated transfers in this process Darius Brown the second. He was at CSUN Cal State Northridge the last few seasons before Poop wound up hitting the fan during the 2021-22 season where he had an interim coaching regime and things wound up just going to mush two seasons ago at CSUN. 10.5 points, 4.8 rebounds, 
and 5.3 assists per game. His assist-to-turnover ratio was 3.6. That was in the top 10 among qualifying D1 players that season, and he's able to shoot in the mid-high 30s from three-point range. You're bringing Caleb Fuller from the Big West as well. Career 35% three-point shooter. Had 12 points, five and a half rebounds, and two assists per game as a six-foot-five wing player. Montana State, I think, is going to be able to repeat. I think that Mr. Sprinkle is doing an absolutely amazing job with this Bobcats team. I don't know if they're going to be able to win 27 games once again, and this is going to be one of the tightest conferences out there in all of college basketball, in my opinion, but in order to be the champ, you've got to beat the champ, and I don't know if anyone's going to be able to take down Montana State, so I've got them number one in my projector finish for the Big Sky, and that will wrap things up for the Big Sky preview edition of Coast to Coast Hoops, now part of the Visa family of podcasts. A big thanks to Lance Hartzler, does a great job being able to follow everything Montana over there at 406 Montana Sports, and on top of that, he does a great job as an editor over there at Mid-Major Madness. He wound up joining me in the second segment. If you do like preparing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you've got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters CM. Maybe it does not matter, so that's pretty usual. Please just send these into the timeline. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Five that five Star review. Going to be doing a conference preview much like this one for every one of the 32 conferences. Deep dive on all these teams and then once we get back in season, fix an analysis on every single game every single day. So I'll chat at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Saleya Mosin and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.